Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela. Today I have with me MVP alum, Jen Ramos. Jen, I'm so excited to have you here for many, many, many reasons, but I will stop and I will allow you to introduce yourself. So please share with me and the audience a little bit about yourself uh, before we dive into our topic, sacred texts. Great. Well, I am very, very excited to be here. Uh, I, I must say this is my favorite topic to discuss as of recently. So I am a uh, registered uh, 200 hour yoga teacher. I started learning with my vinyasa practice uh, during the middle of 2020. Um, I finished my 200 and then um, was kind of was kind of combing through like what's next and a uh, funny story. Um, I had met somebody out here in my town that uh, also studies text and stuff like that. And she had mentioned Tantra and wouldn't you know, MVP comes out with their Tantra 200 training. And so I signed up for that. And this is where it's led me now to where I'm uh, just still going through the studies. And right now my focus has been primarily on the sacred text. So this is why we're here today to talk all about it. I'm so excited. So it wasn't your intention to seek these out. It just was happenstance. Correct. That's just the way things worked out for me. No, I went into my two in sorry, I went into my Tantra 200 training thinking I already knew what I was going to talk about because they tell you at the start, okay, you have to do some kind of, um, you know, lecture or workshop or class on Tantra. And I had had my mind already made up that I was going to talk about Bhakti. Oh, I'm going to talk about what, about what it means to be a Bhakti, like, um, like what are the tools that you use for it, but uh, come to find out during the middle of uh, one of our sections when Michelle was talking about Yana yoga and then she pulled out her version of the Vedas and then she read about who do I worship and that verse that she read just kind of just blew my mind and that's what actually got me into huh maybe there's something else I would like to learn and that's how I got into reading all of the different versions of sacred texts. I love the divine timing of that. Like you were, it was impressed upon you when you were ready for it, when you were ready to go down that path. Correct, correct. And um, and I grew up as a, um, sorry, I grew up, I grew up raised Catholic. And so my, my only real, uh, learning was was from the bible and so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i was a active participant in reading the bible but when you go to catholic school that's what happens but this resonated on a totally different level like it felt like it was something that i already knew but just had to be reminded of so i think that's why i gravitated towards these texts the universal knowledge that was yes. already there just needed to be awakened. <laughs> Thank you for a little bit of that background. So spirituality has always kind of been there for you, right. um, was what I'm hearing you say. But thank you so much for sharing that. I'm excited to talk more about your journey into sacred text and then how we can 
if the listeners are interested, like I am, how they can start to kind of explore that on their own. So let's, can you, can you break it down a little bit for me? What is a sacred text? What does that mean? Well, based on my knowledge and what I've learned thus far, and reminder, that's always going to change. Like the more you read and you go into things, my my vision, my meaning is probably going to change. But as of right now, in this moment, because we're going to stay present here, um, I think sacred text has a meaning and it has a lasting, relevant, universal truth. So it doesn't matter how much time has passed, who you are, where you are, that the, that the messages can kind of be meant for anyone at any time. Because from what I found that the message is still pretty relevant. And, and to be honest, um, scholars will fight, debate, and argue about when these texts were actually uh, spoken or said or written. I, we will actually go over that part as well but we just don't know and the fact that we don't know and that these can be thousands of thousands and thousands of years old and they're still relevant i mean i think that speaks volumes i got chills there's something special to me about withstanding the test of time like that so i'm excited to learn more um you said something really interesting spoken or said I, this is something that I've been thinking about recently uh, a lot is how that process of oral sharing versus written sharing and how it differs, how it changes. So can you give me more info about that? Sure. Uh, so this was something that I didn't know when, when I first learned and I found it fascinating. So <clears throat> way back in the day, let's just say, yeah, I'll give it a number. Let's just say 4000 BC. So one of the oldest Vedas, which is the Rig Veda, there are four. Again, we'll, we'll, we will come back to that. So the Rig Veda is the oldest. And actually, there is really no proof of its existence. Why? Because we just don't know. And why is that? Is because the Vedas were a oral tradition. There is a word that is used that they were, they were a, um, they were what they call a Shruti, which is technically knowledge from God. So there were these um, there were these priests and Brahmins and seers that sat in meditation and just sat, and they were receiving messages, if you want to call them downloads, from God. So that's why there is no real proof on when on when these mantras and slokas and sutras were actually given because we because we just don't know. It was all said. It was all just came through them. And they sat down and that's what was heard so later on when they were written you know uh, scholars had to sit there and kind of guess well 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 what is it that these that these seers that these priests and these brahmins were receiving and that kind of kickstarts all that but that's technically how the vedas were translated they were translations from god to the heart if you want to even say the heart I, I wouldn't even say mind i would say coming straight to the heart Yes, and then intellectualized by mind to be understood as much as possible. I love that. So I, it was an, first of all, it was like an energetic kind of relationship of a receiving of that knowledge, but then it was a communal relationship between person to person. 
of sharing the message by word of mouth. Right. Um, and so it leaves a little mysticism around when it was created exactly, how old it actually is, um, which I love. And that kind of leads me into my next question. You you mentioned one of them already. When, looking at this from a yogic perspective, what are a couple, some of the sacred texts that are important that we that we focus on? Well, that's tough because there's so many and then there's so many stories. Um, it's hard to keep track of them all. Um, but I think primarily for us as yogis, for us as students and teachers and those wanting to learn more, I think the two that are probably most relevant right now are probably the Vedas and the the Bhagavad Gita, sorry, I think I might have butchered that. <laughs> um, I think those are two because uh, they're, the, I feel that they're good jumping off points. Um, and when you go into like the lineage of how these texts were created, so like I said, like the Rig Veda is the oldest, and based off of the Rig Veda came another text, which is a whole nother, I wouldn't call it a can of worms, but it goes into its own little story, which is the Upanishads which is the end section of the Vedas. And from the Upanishads will come the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, so there's another little little stepping stone in there, the Upanishads. Thank you for laying that out for me. That was, I think, the clearest that I've heard that explained. So thank you. Yes. Um, so we've got the Vedas, and then we've got the Upanishads that kind of bookend the Vedas. Correct. Well, um, from what I understand is because the Vedas were so complex because they were written in old Vedic, which my understanding is like pre Sanskrit. And since Vedic was so hard to understand that Sanskrit was created in order for translations to be made from that. And as we know, um, anytime you translate from one language to another, there's always going to be kind of a like you're not going to be able to find the right words or the right that's why we have so many versions and so many translations with so many commentary and then you have you know you have students you have scholars you have teachers who have studied and studied these texts and then we may never really know the right translation that's why i am a student of you know just like how i just said that these were messages that were heard i think it helps on top of reading reading these texts to actually listening to the text. I think that's very important as well. But um, I forgot where we're going with that question. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You answered my question. Um, so we were talking about, you know, the, the texts that we are going to focus on today that are really relevant in this time period to yogis. And so we, we mentioned the Vedas, we mentioned the right. Upanishads and the Gita, Bhagavad Gita. So can you tell me a little bit more about the Vedas. You said Vedic, old Vedic. That's a language. I had yeah. no idea. Yes. Um, I would like to thank my teacher, one of my teachers, Anna Pilar, for that, because that was quite fascinating. I, I just thought it was just the one, which was Sanskrit. But um, no, it was even predate that because it's really old. And again, it's like we really don't know if I had to say it was like 4,000 years old. But yes, there are. So let's take a step back. Okay. So the Vedas, that's traditionally one of the oldest texts out there. Um, they, uh, there are four different Vedas. Um, the four are the Rig Veda, which is the oldest. You have the 
Yajur Veda, you have the Sama Veda, and you have the Artharva Veda. And each section talks about a different thing. So they're broken up into mandalas that sing that sing songs, that sing praises to God. Uh, they teach on various practices. Uh, there are mentions of sacrificial fire rituals, and there are incantations and spells. That's the, the last one. Um, but each one, to my understanding, will point to a different school of of uh, tantric yoga. So it'll talk about yana yoga, it'll talk about karma yoga, and it'll also talk about uh, bhakti yoga. They don't use those same words traditionally, but you kind of get the hint that this is what they're leaning towards. And these three schools that I mentioned will eventually lead up into the other text that I'm sure we're going to talk about, which is the Bhagavad Gita. So it all kind of comes together. Interesting. So the different Vedas are like different perspectives. Correct. Um, the first one is mostly songs and hymns to God. Um, one thing I have learned, and this was something I was going to mention later, but I can mention it now. One of the things that I find very helpful as I'm reading the Vedas is you're going to come across a lot of names and a lot of gods and a lot of things that you're just not going to know. Like, I know for me, what I got stuck on was I kept trying to go back, trying to figure out, well, who are they talking about? Who are they referencing? And that's just how my mind works. But in the end, what I've come to find out is that it's best not to tag these names and these gods as monotheistic or polytheistic, that you have to remember that God is singular, but the names are plural. I think that's super helpful because then you'll just get bogged down into all the little small minute details of which in the end we know is not the point the point is like what do you like what are you actually getting from this like what is your felt sense when you read these texts thank you for saying that because something that we've been talking about in teacher training is the sutras and this there's a similar kind of understanding of patanjali right that there's been this singular name given but really it's a whole bunch of different sages who have really encompassed and embody this this Patanjalian energy right and so what I'm hearing is it's kind of similar like we're given this lots of different names to mean this one universal divinity that we're that we're talking about correct correct and that's what it comes back to it's like what is truth this truth what do we always hear I am a divine being in a human experience and I know it's hard and it's hard for me sometimes, especially coming from a Catholic background, but to hear that you are a embodiment of God, that's tough. It's like, you're saying I'm God? It's like, yes, all these texts are saying, they're saying you are God, you are a embodiment of God. And that's all we're saying. We're not saying that, you know, that you, that, that there's anything that you need to do. All that you know is within. And, I think that's great. I think that's a great message. I I agree with you, which is why I felt so drawn to coming to yoga because there's there's so much to be said about someone, something holding space for you to come as you are. Yes. Yes. That nothing needs to change. Nope. Absolutely not. It's refreshing for sure. Um, <laughs> so we've got a lot of different perspectives 
looking at the Vedas, looking through the Vedas rather, using them as a kind of like lens. Um, I'm still mind blown by the old Vedic. I'm going to have to look into that <laughs> later because I had no idea that that was a thing. Um, so where do the Upanishads come into play? So from my understanding, and I've only read a certain portion, I have not gone through the entire text because we're, <laughs> this was something I had just learned recently. So um, the Upanishads are actually a pretty big text. And uh, currently you will not be able to find a full version of it from what I understand. It is so vast and so huge that you're never gonna find one copy anywhere that I have all. So that's why what you'll see mostly is you'll see a condensed version of maybe like 15 or so. I've probably read about three or four of them and that came to be because they're in the Vedas. So like I said, like the latter, heart, the latter half of the Vedas is where the Napanishads come from. And um, from that, the, the Napanishads go into more detail on what the Vedas couldn't quite get. So it's kind of taking it one step further. Uh, I, I recommend again, seeing if you can find a verbal version of it and just kind of sit with it and listen, because there's nothing more pure and more of sitting there within your heart space than listening to Sanskrit. Because I don't speak Sanskrit. I don't know except a few words, but when you sit there in meditation, which makes sense, again, like the old priest, they sat there in meditation and they got the information, just sitting there and hearing these words, it's, it's really powerful. Again, this is why why we have learned that the universal sounds of the universe and that's what we're hearing when we hear these words it, it again it's it's i mean it's not the words that are the most important it is the vibratory feeling that you get when you hear is that a seed sound yes yes it's all coming together i love yes. that how beautifully yes. put so the sitting and the listening that was beautifully put. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, and to further, actually, um, if you go into the Rig Veda, the Rig Veda will actually have the actual Gayatri mantra in it. So if you if you know about the Gayatri mantra, the Gayatri mantra is the totality of the universe. I have the Rig Veda behind me, which is why I was turned around looking at it. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I have it behind me. So I'm now that I have the Gayatri mantras in there. Awesome. Yes. And that was the first probably like mantra that I heard that resonated with me. And it probably resonated with me because I was like, ah, now I, now I remember. Because that's what all these texts are really doing. They're just helping us to remember. We know all this stuff. Again, I don't, this is how I feel. And I'm not sure if this is how you feel, but this is not the first time that I have studied yoga. According to the Gita, there's a section in there to where, to where it is said that if you are a yogi and based on your karma, if, if you don't get to finish what you need to, that if you do reincarnate into the next life, you're going to start exactly where you finished. And so I think that's 100% true, but that's just me. May not resonate with everybody, but that's how I feel. 
I love that. This is not the first time that I have practiced yoga. Right. Yeah. And not I in the sense of Jen. No. I in the sense of the inner, the inner view. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So you mentioned the Gita, which is beautiful. You're leading me into my next question. So we talked a little bit about the Vedas. We know that there are four and that they're similar to, to Tantra, or they, they explain some concepts from Tantra because Tantra is like really different perspectives of approaching these yogic ideas, right? Correct. Um, the best definition I got was, was in my 200 hour training. Um, Tantra is a system of yoga that has many uh, practices and techniques that help to work with your Shakti which is your energy. Awesome. Love that. Thank you for that succinct de definition. So we've got the Vedas, we've got the Upanishads, and now we're moving into the Bhagavad Gita. Is it the same with the Vedas in that it's kind of hard to pin down when it was created or was this one a little bit, or is this one different? Well, this one's a little bit different. And, um, Let's start with the very basics. So the Bhagavad Gita, when it's translated, uh, Bhagavad means beloved Lord, and then Gita meaning song. So the correct translation of this text is the song of the beloved Lord or the song of God. In this case, uh, Krishna is a manifestation of God. And so it's funny, about this text before I started reading I this is where I say that you can kind of go down the well of stories but this is actually a piece it's it's a poem that actually takes place within another text called the Mahabharata and the Mahabharata is a 100,000 verse poem so it's a poem within a poem I I have the Mahabharata I've gone through sections of it but I think I will set that aside for now and just focus on these two. Um, so within the Gita, it is um, they're in a time of war between uh, two families. It is the Banda Devas and the Kayu the Kayu Advas. Let's just say, hope I said it right. Um, to where uh, Prince Arjuna and his friend, his charioteer. Uh, Krishna are in the middle of a battlefield and Arjuna is in a huge conflict. He doesn't know how he's going to be at war with people that he knows in terms of his family and friends and teachers. And he's torn in between whether he has to act or should he stand his ground and do his call to duty. So the, so the Gita is basically uh, Arjuna and Krishna on the battlefield and Arjuna is asking Krishna these questions and so thus begins 18 chapters of glorious yoga so the Gita is broken down into 18 chapters correct okay and 18 chapters have to deal with um different types of yoga or yoga is what they call it um and each one covers a variety of topics. Uh, uh, I think the first half starts with karma and dharma. Uh, there's discussion of liberation and moksha. 
again, it goes kind of what I was telling you about the Vedas. It goes into Yana Yoga, Bhakta, Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga. It goes into a little bit of Rajas Yoga. It does um, does Sampkya philosophy, uh, which which if you're a 200 or 300 hour, you you should know a little bit about that. And then um, there's also a few sections on divinity, um, universal divine power in um, like, I guess you could say like the supreme goal of us, like why we're here and stuff like that. So was the purpose of the Gita to illustrate kind of like a, self-realization kind of moment for the characters yes um so because arjuna is like he's really torn like he is there in the middle of this huge battle and it's one of the more larger battles in all of hindu history and he's really torn like he really doesn't know what to do he's like okay so i'm told i have to kill all my friends and my family like i don't know what to do like like, like he's basically talking about his karma. And then at the same time, he's also talking about kind of keeping, you know, keeping himself pure by following, you know, like the rules that are set down in yoga. So he's very conflicted. That's why each chapter kind of goes through each one kind of explaining and giving him kind of like the background that he needs to go about his service to action is basically what it is i love that so it's basically setting the stage for the readers to put themselves in that that perspective of when i'm feeling dissonance or challenge right this is how i can find ease following this path of questioning and following this line of like thought Correct. I mean, yes, essentially, it's a reminder to just whatever comes at you, no matter what it is, and there is no good or bad, again, it, it's all a matter of perspective, that it is just a means of spiritual growth. That's it. It's that simple. But as we know, like the mind likes to complicate, and, but no, 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 it's just a means of spiritual growth. It's like you said, it is a means of self-realization. I love that. So we go from a text that may be a little more, the Vedas that might be a little more like literal in nature. And as far as like, I shouldn't say literal, more straightforward in nature, less metaphorical. And then we go to the Bhagavad Gita and it's giving us this story to represent the overarching idea. Right. I love yes. that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that together. Yes. So I love that. Okay. Knowing that makes it feel less intimidating already, which kind of leads me into my next question. So we've seen this path of these texts and how they're kind of related to each other. How do you approach even beginning to study things like this? How did you approach it? <laughs> well, it just kind of fell into my lap. I did not know this is where I was going to go, but there was something about that verse in the Artharva Veda about who do you worship? 
and it stumped me and actually i think it stumped a few of us in the 200 hour we were we were just so stumped we were i guess it was just a remembering that there is no right or wrong way about doing any of this i mean it's the mind that kind of complicates things i mean there is no right or wrong way um i think the best way is just to kind of jump in it um I had a theory going into this that I had to go in chronological order that I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to start with the Vedas and I'll go into the Napanishads and then I'll go into the Mahabharata, then I'll go into the Gita, then I'll go into the Ramana, and then maybe I'll go back to the Yoga Sutras. But there is no right or wrong way. That's just how my brain works. But um, my suggestion is to kind of go with what works for you. If you feel like you need to read the text, then read the text. If you want to listen to them first, then I say go for it and listen to them first. If neither works for you, then maybe do a hybrid of both. And if you really don't know, then maybe ask me or you can ask either Michelle or Anna Pilar. They both love talking about this stuff. This is where I got it from. Uh, But there is no right or wrong way. I just say dive into it and be open-minded. Be open-minded. Yes. Um, and I like that you said that because my next question was going to be, should I start from the beginning? Because my my brain is also like, we start from the beginning and we move through from beginning to end. But I like the idea of kind of just jumping into whatever interests you, no matter what point it is. Yes. Um, just a word of note, though. Um, there are a lot of translations. I myself have one, two, three, four, five. I have five versions of the Bhagavad Gita and I have one version of the Vedas. I think that's plenty for a lifetime. Uh, If you can try to stay away from commentary, I think that's helpful, but sometimes commentary is needed because sometimes you'll read things and you'll and you might just miss it. You're like, I'm not understanding what that is. There's a lot of good translations out there. I would kind of comb through what works best for you because you and I are not the same. You know, we may uh, tend to gravitate towards something different, but um, that's kind of where I would start. And whether you start with the Vedas or Bhagavad Gita or Mahabharata or any of the texts, it, 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 it really doesn't matter because they all point to the same lesson, to the same thing over and over. We just have to remember, and that's why we keep hearing the same messages over and over, because we forget. Thank you for sharing that. You bring up a really wonderful point, too, as we're talking about these sacred texts that originated orally. Perception is something to keep in mind like we talk about all the time like thank you so much for giving me your perception of the sutra swami thank you and do i need to read that the first time from now right um so that's a good thing to remember when we're starting to look for iterations of these sacred texts to see who's writing it whose opinion it is and just reminding yourself as you're reading it right a lot of that's perception. Take what you need, leave the rest, just like we do with asana. Exactly, exactly. So, good thing to remember when you're starting to look for these. I say you, I mean me, and any potential and any potential listeners who are looking to start to study. Keep that in mind when you're looking for these. Any tips that you might have for someone as they're starting to, other than being open-minded, because I'm afraid it... 
you've already answered this question. You said you can't do it wrong. I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. I have this perception because of the sacred text, because it's that I need to approach it with honor. And I'm afraid of doing it wrong. What are tips do you have that you have for new newbies in the sacred text world? Um, I think, um, I think in chapter 18 of the Gita, um, I think it's said best by, uh, said best by Krishna. And if I can quote it for you, maybe this will make sense. And if any person meditates upon this sacred discourse of ours, I shall consider that he has worshipped me in spirit. Even if they simply listen to these words with faith and does not doubt them, they will be freed from their sins and reach heaven of the righteous. It's just like what I said a moment ago. There is no right or wrong way of doing this. You can read these texts and take it in, or you cannot. You can sit there and listen to the words of what I'm saying or what you may find online. It's not up to anyone but you. But as long as in the end is you're taking for what is being said in these texts as truth, then I think you're doing things right. Thank you for that. That kind of reminds me of how we approach meditation, right? It's a state of being. You can't really be bad at it. Here. If you're doing it, if you're trying, if you're present. <laughs> um, so we already touched a little bit on what to expect when we start to look through these texts. You'll see a lot of perception from other people when you're looking for the different iterations. Anything else that people can start to expect before jumping into this? I know we've mentioned that there's a lot of talk of uh, God in the plural and God in the singular. And so maybe keeping that in mind as you're starting to read, but anything else that they can expect, I can expect? Uh, to be honest, confusion. You're going to be confused. This was my, this is what happened to me. This was my experience. You're gonna, get, you're gonna be confused. The Vedas are tough, but, 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 but they are manageable. Because what you'll start to notice is you're going to start to see words and names of things that you have read in other texts. So if you're a 200 hour, 300 hour yoga therapy, you've seen these words, you've heard these concepts before, and then you start to connect the dots. So one thing that I started to do was I would read the Vedas and then I would jump into maybe the, maybe into the Gita or the Mahabharata or the Napanishads, and I would further go into what it is that they were trying to explain, then go back into the Vedas, and again, more dots are being connected, and you'll and and you'll find these words, and you'll keep seeing them over and over and over again until one day it just kind of just clicks in your head, and you go, "Ha! Now I understand what these texts are for. It's Yana Yoga. It's knowledge. It's knowledge of universal truth. It's knowledge of God. I got it." And then I'm pretty sure it'll just grow from there because that's what's happened to me. As I said, and I'll keep saying it, this is not where I thought my yoga studies was going to take me. I did not think I was going to be into the spiritual text, but little as you know, I like a good story. 
<laughs> I love how you put that. I like a good story. Me too. Um, so I'm hoping I'll be, I'll, I'll enjoy this process um, as you. Um, final question for you before we start to wrap up and head on our way. What insights did you take away from this? Key takeaways that are important to you that stick out to you that that you would like to share. Um, I think for these two primarily, the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita, they are, they are uh, references for me for self-study, so Svadhyaya and self-inquiry into who I am as a being, what my true nature is, and to just know that there are many paths to self-realization. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really lovely note to end our discussion on. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts or feelings that you would like to share um, before we part ways for today? Um, I think I will say thank you to my vinyasa practice for being here for us uh, coming together to to learn what it is to be devoted to God. Um, I give you so much thanks to all of you. I'm not going to pinpoint people out because you know who you are. You know exactly who you are. But I just want to say. Thank you for helping me remember who I am. Thank you, Jen, for showing up authentically, for sharing your wisdom with us, um, and for guiding us through a little bit of information on the sacred text. I definitely feel like I've learned a lot. I'm excited to start my journey. I feel less intimidated than I did when I came into this meeting, and I hope the listeners do too. Um, thank you, everyone, for being here, for sharing time and space with us, and I hope to see you again next week. Mm -hmm.